Today on Let Me Be Frank, His Excellency is going to talk about accompaniment, which if you've been listening, you know this means a lot to Bishop Caggiano. So accompaniment comes in many different forms, many different forums, and he's going to describe all the different ways that we can accompany others in a structured and an unstructured way. That leads to a discussion about the guilds, which are associations, groups that he is putting together here in the Diocese of Bridgeport to help strengthen each other and and walk with each other and accompany each other in areas like healthcare and catechesis. So keep your radio right here. This is a very, very good conversation today. Keep your radio on on 1350 AM and 103.9 FM or keep us on your phone with the Veritas mobile app. The app is available at the Apple App Store, the Google Play Store, or VeritasCatholic.com. If you're listening to Let Me Be Frank on podcast, make sure you go and rate us, review us, give us five stars, and help us to reach more souls. Big thank you to our sponsor, Foundations of Faith. Foundations of Faith makes all of this happen for Let Me Be Frank, and they embrace innovative approaches to funding pastoral care programs in the Diocese of Bridgeport. Resources focus on energizing lifelong faith formation and discipleship and fostering a commitment to justice and accompaniment with our most vulnerable. From seminarians to retired priests, from baptism to last rites, from suburbs to inner cities, the reach is broad and the impact is meaningful. For more information, visit them on the web at foundationsinfaith.org. Okay, here we go. Welcome back to Let Me Be Frank on the Veritas Catholic Network. I'm Steve Lee, and it is my great pleasure as always to introduce Bishop Frank Caggiano. Steve, good morning, my friend. Good morning. Hey, excellent. Listen, COVID's <laughs> no fun. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I, I'm just recovering. Thank God. That was number five for me. Five. Wow. Five. What's the record, I wonder? <laughs> Don't try to break no, it. <laughs> gosh, no. But it's... Um, but this time it was like we were chatting before we go, we went on the air. It's it's uh, this time for whatever reason, um, it's it's taken a while to get back into the swing of things. Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry to hear that. I actually, I actually had COVID uh, a few weeks ago too. Did you? That was my third time. All right, so catch up. What and are you waiting for? Come on, it's got two more to go. <laughs> I'm not trying to break any records. <laughs> oh gosh. <laughs> yeah, and how did you feel? This time was the mildest of the three uh, times. I would say there was one of the one of the five days I was knocked out, but then the other four days I was I was okay. Yeah, I think I may have to get checked. Thank God I, I'm negative. Thank God, as of this morning, I'm negative. I should get checked because my back hurts. Oh boy! So we have to make sure no no yeah. no shenanigans is going on. Anyway, who, these are all my problems. Does everybody care? No. So let's get to the heart of the matter here. <laughs> all right. Well, so um, I th- I think we talked about um, you have uh, some cool ideas for. Um, creating the one, putting together guilds. Yes, but more, more than that, actually, it's guilds are an essential part of the other half of the of the one. So we've talked about um, encounters with Christ, truth, beauty, and goodness. Spent a lot of time on that. But the other piece to this puzzle is accompanying each other in discipleship. See, that sounds really kind of nice. You put it on a poster. I walk with you. But I mean. <laughs> 
what does it mean? <laughs> like really, ultimately, what does it mean and what difference does it make and how do you do it? Yes. So if we're going to make this work, and please God, we will make it work with the grace of God. We'll make it work as God intends, really, in the end. I thought maybe today we could spend a little time on this idea of accompaniment, right? And yes. what does it mean for spiritual accompaniment? So let's start from the scriptures, right? The most famous story of accompaniment in all of the scriptures is the story of Emmaus, which we've heard very often. And you and I have spoken about that, right, in, in many different contexts. And one of the seminal issues, right, um, that underlie Emmaus is the astonishing idea that the Lord walks with two disciples who are discouraged and are turning away from their commitment to the ministry and to, and to discipleship in the wrong direction for a while, while he reintroduces them to his own life. And then when they finally connect, the scripture says the Lord's no longer there present. Right? He kind of disappears from the site. So let's take a step back. What's the outline of what that looks like? So there is a moment where there is a walking with someone. In this case, it was a surprise, right? This person just appears, and there was an openness to the two disciples to walk because they were so dejected at this point. Misery loves company. Why, if there's two, why not three or four? All commiserating, right? I'm sure that is, right, in their minds. So, but the first piece is that it has a beginning and it has an end. And that's important, right? So the Lord, the Lord knows there's an openness, and he makes a commitment to spend time with them. We call that metaphorically walking with them. Literally in the story, he's walking, but to spend time with them. Yes. And then it comes to an end. So accompaniment is a companionship. It's a spiritual companionship. It is uh, a sharing of life, meaning time, attention, talent, presence with someone else for a period of time so that their the relationship with the Lord right, can deepen. We become the agents of the Lord's presence. That's one form of accompaniment. There's another form of accompaniment where it does not end. So that is more in the line of spiritual friendship versus what I'm going to call secular friendship. Mm -hmm. Because in the secular world, friendship could mean many different things to many different people. You and I have explored the, the definition of friendship in the past where it is to, to, to have a relationship where you choose to love someone, that is you choose to do their good, Right. Um, even when they are quote unquote ugly, that is quote unquote not necessarily being faithful or not doing what is right, or 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 even behaving in, in doing behavior that we're advising them not to do. Okay, so we don't turn our back. That sort of accompaniment may not have an end. Please God, it's a friendship you may carry for your whole life. Right. 
Then there's a form of accompaniment where it's not a single person, but a group of individuals who walk with each other, each of its members. The ecclesia movements and communities have grown in part because they have explored very well this idea of small communities. And then there's the accompaniment of the church, right? where we literally, for our lifetime, walk with others who share our faith. So when you look at it that way, accompaniment has many different faces and forms. It has many different structures. It has somewhat different lengths, but it's essential. And in a perfect world, in a perfect world, there would be a ready for us, an accompaniment if we are questioning, if we are wanna, um, if we're doubting, if we are in need, all right, because of crisis or personal suffering, that has an accompaniment that has a beginning and end. And then, please God, in all of our lives, we have spiritual companions, right, who will walk with us. In all of our lives, please God, there's at least one community we belong to that is bigger than a single individual who gets to know us, walk with us, share our joys, our sufferings, all the rest, right? And then we all as believers are part of the church and we should have a more, a larger, more vibrant accompaniment in the ecclesial family, similar to what you would do, please God, in your natural family, since we have two families in our lives. So in a sense, if we don't understand that dynamic, then we don't know what we're operationalizing. So let me stop there for a second. Does that make sense? Yes. Yep. I like it. I never thought of accompaniment in those many different ways before. Right. And it seems to me that at certain times of our lives, we have a greater need for one over the other. Yes. Right? I would think the first is the one that is the hardest to do precisely because it is going to take an intense commitment to be able to walk with someone who has a particular need or a particular felt urgency. So like bereavement ministry is accompanying someone for a period of time, tremendously Mm -hmm. important. Someone who's struggling with some sort of sin has that accompaniment. Addiction that level of accompaniment, right? Who, you know, God forbid, is in a relationship that, like a marital relationship that is really under tremendous duress. Now, notice that I said accompaniment versus like counseling or psychological therapy and all the rest. Now, this is my bias. This is my bias. So people could certainly feel free to to email you, not me, and (laughs) express their opinions. But... um, most of the time in the secular world, therapy, counseling, um, it, it's very much a medicinal a, a approach, which is important, but many times lacks this, the larger spiritual context. And yes. There are Catholic therapists out there, and I highly recommend that people approach them because you want a more holistic approach. But sometimes it's not just a question of, well, what's the therapy that I need to overcome some of the causes you know, of trauma in my life, extraordinarily important. But what are the spiritual ramifications of that? You may need someone to walk with you in that. Yeah. Right? 
Yeah. It, it also feels like excellency counseling or therapy is like, is like, you know, arm's length and I'm helping you from here like this, but accompaniment is coming alongside, putting your arm around them and walking together. Correct. And it's not necessarily that the person who's accompanying you has the answers similar to a therapist or a it, it, it's just that you're a right. company, that you're not alone in the struggle yes. or in the moment. Yes. That's the key piece, right? Yeah. In, in a sense, accompaniment in those moments is making God's love concrete because you are not alone. There is someone to turn to, not because they have the answer, but simply because they're there, mm-hmm. right? And in a sense, we do that and don't even realize it because I think parents accompany their children in times of crisis because obviously they love them, but but they're also accompanying them simply to say, "Call me." And if if and especially as they become young adults, they turn to their parents, who please God they have a good relationship with. It's just a reassurance that you're not alone at that moment, right? Which I think started the Emmaus talk. The Emmaus, I mean. They were leaving precisely because they were giving up. Yes, right. So they were not alone in that, right? It's yeah. it's just all right. So for us in the one, you can imagine how complicated this is to try to do this. We're not going to do this in six months, right? Right. We may do it in five years to have enough of these elements in enough places that it's not just you know theoretical, but people actually begin to see, well, yeah, in the church, I could do this, or I could turn here, or I could, do you know what I mean? Yes. So then we have to create a strategy to figure out how to do this. And, I, I, and I'd be a liar if I said to you, I have it all worked out. I certainly don't. It's only the beginnings. It's evolving. But let's celebrate what we already have. Okay, we have the Ignatian, um, the Murphy Center for Ignatian Spirituality at Fairfield University, which we co-sponsor mm-hmm. with Fairfield University. If my recollection is correct, there are about 70 or so already trained, certified spiritual directors. In addition to the spiritual directors that we already have and much of the clergy that's already trained and competent to do this. So... For personal accompaniment, the fact that spiritual directors are available is extremely important. And that is a tool of the one that I encourage everyone to utilize. Why? Because spiritual discernment needs confirmation. My spiritual discernment in my own life can easily become self-deception. If I don't have someone to speak to, to share with that discernment, what the movings and promptings of the spirit, we could talk ourselves or rationalize ourselves into anything. To have a spiritual director is to have somebody who's objectively there, who's walking with me, who's not my friend, not my friend, not supposed to be my friend. We don't got for beers together. That's not the point. But someone (laughs) who gets to know you and can say, you know what, Frank, stop for a second. You just said this. I know this to be true. And five months ago, you said this. What, mm-hmm. what does this mean now? Talk to me about how you hold this together. Mm-hmm. Right? So now spiritual direction doesn't, please God, doesn't have a terminus. You, you would want spiritual direction for your whole life. 
company, but it's another type of accompaniment that right now we have. And the other thing too, to be honest, is if people who are listening to this podcast are said to themselves, you know what, you know, I, 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 I always wonder what qualifications do I need, would a person need to be a spiritual director? Um, if you've ever asked that question, then please ask it of yourself. What qualities do I have that could be at service to someone else's spiritual journey? Because we need a lot of directors. We need more than 70. Uh, uh, we would need thousands to accompany hundreds of thousands of people. And again, we're not going to get there in a year. Right. So that's number one. Then we have the intervention when there's a particular need, right, as we talked about. And those are some of the ministries, like bereavement, Catholic therapy. Those are accompanying for a more particular issue. But long-term personal company is spiritual direction. Okay, so now, are there others? Yes, there are. There are. And if I may, one of the things that I'm going to ask everyone listening to give serious thought to is to choose a confessor, to choose the same priest to whom you go to have the sacrament of penance and reconciliation celebrated. And why is that important? Because that's another type of accompaniment. Now remember, remember, there seems to be a tremendous need for catechesis in this. Because people come to the sacrament of penance and reconciliation, confession, and they're seeking spiritual guidance. And they're, sp speak, and they're seeking a place where they can open up their problems and get direction and guidance. And it's almost converting the sacrament into spiritual direction, which it is not meant to be. If a person needs direction, accompaniment, and doesn't have a spiritual director, I encourage them to meet with their priests or even their deacons, all right? Because that is not what the sacrament is meant for. But that is a legitimate need that you do outside the sacrament, in the confidentiality of an office or a setting where you can begin that journey, right? Yes. In the sacrament, it's self-accusation of sin, right? I have sinned and these are my sins. And it presumes that there has been an examination of conscience. And if there has not been, then you're not ready to celebrate the sacrament. And I think mm -hmm. there are plenty of, of online and in our parishes to help you examine. And then there is some sort of spiritual advice that speaks directly to the sin to avoid its occurrence. And then there is absolution and penance that follows. But this is the point. This is the point. If you have the same confessor, and he either gets to know you by voice or knows you by face, depending on which way you celebrate. Over time, he will be able to discern some of the roots of the sins that you and I confess over and over again that you and I may not always be aware of. So, for example, if I were to confess over and over again that I lack charity, And in my confession, in different contexts, begin to, to like illustrate how I do that. Over time, 
It may actually be illustrating, unbeknownst to me, the real cause of the lack of charity I have, which could be pride, of -hmm. which I don't realize. Mm -hmm. So it's not to say that discernment doesn't happen in the sacrament, but discernment happens over time. So again, for those who are listening, if you want to get involved in the one and start really making a difference in your own life to have these encounters with Christ and to be a company, pick somebody to be your confessor and go to them regularly, every month, every month, go to confession, same person, and sooner or later, that person will give you insights you could not ever imagine getting before. Make sense? Yes. Yep. And that's all there, right? We don't have to invent anything. We have that already. Right. (laughs) Right. The Lord gave it to us. Okay. So more to come about individual accompaniment. But let's get to small groups because that's the guilds, right? Small groups. Actually, there's two pieces to this puzzle. Two pieces to accompaniment in small groups. Let me first say a word about existing communities, and then perhaps after the break, we could dive into the guilds, right? You've heard me say before in my presentations, maybe if you've come to any of them or the people listening to the podcast, I talk about a parish being a community of communities, and that's the case, right? A parish is really an assembly of different groupings of individuals who come together because they share a a common ministry, they share a common uh, love, they share a common concern. Perfect example, typical parish. You have um, a men's group. You have a group walking with purpose. You have an altar society. You have youth ministers. Uh, you have catechists. You have extraordinary ministers of Holy Communion. You have readers. And I could go on. You have coach. You go on and on and on. If it has religious ed program, which almost every parish does, you have parents that hang out, fourth grade, third grade, second grade, confirmation, holy communion, penance, all this stuff. I I could go on. I mean, if you dissect the typical parish, you could see 70, 80, 90 communities. All right. So now this is my question. This is my question. Instead of reinventing the wheel, how do those communities go from social gatherings or work-oriented gatherings to spiritual communities? Mm -hmm. That's my question. If it's social gatherings, there's friendship there, there's support, there's some level of accompaniment. But when push comes to shove, I'm not sure it survives the fire and heat of any given moment. If it's work-related, Meaning it's ministry related. It serves a purpose. It serves the church. It's wonderful. It's, it's serving the kingdom. But once again, how is it helping me to grow in my discipleship? And how do we accompany each other in that very friendship that I talked about? Where if I, as a reader, lose my job, that it's not just like ignored when we get together to work out schedules as if it's irrelevant when it's an earthquake in my own life. Right. Yeah. So how do we do that? How do we do that? And I think in the end, I'm open to any suggestion, and I mean this very sincerely to everybody listening. I'm no expert in this. That I discern the need goes without saying. That I, I'm not, I'm not pr- prideful enough to say I have all the answers. I don't. 
But I do think we have to figure out different ways, because not one way will work, to spiritualize communities. Mm -hmm. Do you have any ideas in that regard? Uh, off the top of my head, I mean, it to me, the obvious answer is to go back to what you were talking about at the beginning mm -hmm. of this conversation, which is about you know really coming alongside people and getting to know them. So that reader uh, who loses uh, his or her job, you know, they they wouldn't open up to you unless you had already developed a relationship with them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, if you had already if you hadn't already made yourself vulnerable to them first. Mm -hmm. um, so it's still one on one, right? All right. I'm, I'm going to suggest two ideas, at least the first two ideas. The first is in all of these communities, when they meet, to the extent that it is possible, those meetings should begin with some sort of shared food, shared meal, mm. where people sit at a table together and eat and create the space for the Holy Spirit to make connections that will surprise us. It is, what is, it is the principal issue that is lacking in family life today. Family life is weakened because meals are no longer shared together. All right. And everything has become intentional. Right. But the truth of the matter is, if I intend to reach out to someone, that's great. But it may not necessarily reflect what the Holy Spirit wants to do in connecting someone else to that person that only God knows that I don't know. Right. So where's the forum that you create where there's no agenda? And in a perfect world, people would bring the food. You don't cater the food. Nobody does. I mean, you could do that. But that's almost like a, a, a banquet. No, no, no. Everybody brings something. You share it. You converse. It seems like a half hour. It may seem like wasted time, but not at all, because you begin with prayer, and you intentionally focus it on not nonsense, and not on the ministry, but anything else. Yeah. Right? So Each not other. nonsense, yeah. and not ministry, which you're going to talk about later, everything else. Then you begin to create a space where you share a meal three, four, five times a year, six times a year, seven times a year. Suddenly, something begins to happen. Right? Yes. That is why the community of communities gathers at a meal. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> Same idea. It's it's ritualized, obviously. You're not obviously because it's the sacrament, but it's the same idea that somehow in the sharing of a meal. Now, of course, this is Christ who is the is the meal. That something is supposed to happen, right? Something is supposed to happen, not just me personally, but to the community. Anyway, so going back to so that's number one. So, it, in in the next month and a half, there's going to be some real directives going forward. Right, for parishes to say, since you can't start with 70, pick five and pick those five and start altering the way they meet and mm -hmm. start doing this. Number one, same thing with breakfast, same thing with breakfast, too. You know, when I go to men's ministry, where I find the, the most interesting part of the men's ministry is at the beginning or at the end, depending on how they do it, oftentimes at the end, where there's just breakfast and guys talking, and you see the real friendships. 
that are formed, right? Yes. Am I correct? Yes, yes, that's right. Yeah, yeah. that's essential. Fact. That's number one. Number two, there are resources <clears throat> that the USCCB has created through the Eucharistic Revival. Now, of course, we know in our diocese, we are starting the Eucharistic Revival much later because of the one to set up the, 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 the architecture so that I don't want another revival. <laughs> in the end, I want to renew the whole life of the church. Anyway, point is, they have a series of resources, seven, eight, I believe it's eight weeks, which a group can be formed, can be formed to utilize it, to d dive into the spirituality and the theology and the meaning of the Eucharist. Now, that could be a way for existing communities. That's going to be a second thing I'm going to offer to use those resources, right? So if you have a group of, could you imagine, imagine this, imagine, stop for a moment. Could you imagine a group of coaches coming together to do eight weeks on the spirituality of the Eucharist? <laughs> could you imagine what that, what, what, what could possibly happen there? Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Or a parish staff doing it. You know, all the paid employees, the secretary, the janitor, and the pastor coming together and doing it. Imagine that, how that could change the net. So, so I think those are two resources. There are going to be many others. But right now, in my mind, those are the two. The other thing that has to happen, which is only at the beginning of an idea in my mind, is reflection, theological reflection. That is, if, if electors, electors get together, how do you guide them in theological reflection on their ministry? Hmm. Not just what they do, but what it means, mm -hmm. right, is another question which we're going to explore in the, in the next <clears throat> in the next few months. Yeah. So that's the existing communities. Then we have the guilds, which is a whole nother ball of wax, which we'll do after the break, I guess. Yes, we'll come back to that. Um, so this is Let Me Be Frank on the Veritas Catholic Network with, with Bishop Frank Caggiano and uh, more on accompaniment and supporting each other and the guilds after the break. Be right back. If you're concerned about your end-of-life plans, searching for a Catholic cemetery, or have loved ones who are buried in one of the 14 Catholic cemeteries throughout Fairfield County, now might be a good time to begin planning for yourself or for other family members. Call one of our family advisors at 203-742-1450 and select option 5 to leave a message or visit www.ctcemeteries.org. Many people don't realize that they can be buried with their deceased loved ones, even if all of the family's in-ground plots have been taken. The Diocese of Bridgeport Catholic Cemeteries provides in-ground burials, as well as columbarium and mausoleum options. This makes it possible to unite your family together in the same cemetery, and it's an opportunity to build a bridge for your family back to the church. Talking about this issue is not easy, but pre-need planning makes your wishes clear, reduces cost, and helps your family avoid difficult decisions at a time of grief and loss. You can start your planning now by contacting one of our family advisors at 203-742-1450 and select option 5 or visit www.ctcemeteries.org. We can guide you through the options, regulations, and considerations to help you make the best decisions for your family. The number is 203-742-1450 and select option 5 or visit www.ctcemeteries.org. 
Okay, welcome back to Let Me Be Frank on the Veritas Catholic Network. Excellency. All right, so you were about to talk about the, the guilds. guilds. Okay. So the guilds are prove the, the maxim, what goes around comes around, right? That what was old is new. Uh, certainly we see it in fashion. If you, you keep a tie long enough, it'll come back into fashion sooner or later, <laughs> right? right? Yeah, bell bottoms. <laughs> bell bo- well, those, please, never again. <laughs> All right. Anyway, so um, the guilds are not a new invention. And for our readers, what I want you to understand, see these guilds. The guilds are a bridge between small communities that can accompany people and and a larger diocesan experience of community that could accompany people. When the guilds are fully formed over the next three or four years, they will do both. Now, what do I mean by that? Okay. In the Middle Ages, guilds were created around common vocations or professions. And they existed, all right, so that workers could, or whoever else was, could gather together to support each other in their work for their livelihood, and to spiritually support each other. In fact, the guilds were very popular. And it, in, and in many ways, to be a member of a guild assured one support rather than try to enter into a profession, vocation, or in our case, if I use the word ministry, alone. The guild has two aspects to it. On one hand, it joins individuals who share, let's say, a common profession from, in our case, all around the diocese. But it also, when it's fully formed, will have local groups. I call them chapters. You could call them whatever you wish. Let's say we call them chapters, where the people of the same vocation gather together because they actually get to know each other mm-hmm. and share a same region. So they may actually share some interaction that supports them. So, concretely speaking, we have the Sacred Heart Guild that was already created. Yes. And it is a local area at Georgetown at the Oratory. And now it's beginning to expand its offerings to different parts of the diocese. Eventually, the Sacred Heart Guild will see things that will have their own lives. So let's say they have art schools. Eventually, there'll be art schools around the diocese in different parishes. So there are small communities, but they link to a larger community because you could imagine the guild calling all of those schools together once a year for strategy, for conversation, for celebration, for food, right? Right. Yes. The second is the St. Luke's Guild. So let's some t- spend, and we've spoken about the Sacred Heart Guild. So let's spend some more time on St. Luke's. St. Luke's was created about five months ago. And it is healthcare, those involved in healthcare, most especially the Ministry of Healthcare. And it has had an evolutionary war adventure in the last five months because it's taken a while to kind of kind of crystallize how this is going to work because it's the template for all the other ones we want to create. Hmm. And really in the end, what we've come up with is this. The mission of the guild is to invite everyone who is in healthcare ministry 
to grow in their spiritual relationship with the Lord Jesus. So opportunities to encounter him and also accompany each other, not just in discipleship, but in the ministry, living their discipleship within their vocation. So I want to be a faithful Catholic, and also I'm going to be a doctor, nurse, whatever it is, healthcare worker, etc. So it's both things. And therefore, there are really three audiences in the guild. The first are the members of the guild. And the members of the guild are going to be those individuals who agree to the spiritual requirements and buy themselves to the spiritual requirements, not only for their own sake and for the sake of the other members of the guild, but to become of service to everyone else in healthcare who will not be a member of the guild. So I'm not imagining there'll be thousands of members, formal members of the guild. There may be 100, 150 in three, four years. And what do they agree to? They agree to a daily prayer, to pray for everyone in the guild and everyone who's serviced by the guild. They agree to a, 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 an annual day of retreat and formation. And they agree to at least one, if not more, ministerial and professional development evenings where they can be trained and really grow in their knowledge to understand how, for example, in healthcare, you live Catholic moral teaching within that profession, mm, yes, right, which they and thousands of others have to face each day. Right. So, the membership of the guild is, you know, it's not onerous, but it's not easy either. I mean, you have to really be committed. Right. Now, then there is there are those individuals along the way who are going to become aspirants, meaning those individuals who are intrigued with becoming a member of the guild, but are not ready to sign on the dotted line, okay? They would be invited to attend the guild events that are mm -hmm. only open to guild members for a period of time until they either decide to join the guild or not. Right. And then there's everyone else. And for everyone else, the guild and its members are gonna be sponsoring evening events of prayer, formation and reflection. In other words, that the guild eventually will provide opportunities of truth, beauty, and goodness tailored specifically to those in healthcare, starting with beauty, starting with prayer and spiritual support. Right. So there will be many opportunities. They've already planned them. For example, one would be Eucharistic adoration. One is an evening of rosary, scriptural rosary, and time for fraternity and refreshment. Right, just to people to get to know each other and pray. Others are Lexio Divina experience, and others are going to be Eucharistic adoration. These are already being planned, open to every now. Of course, if I happen to be a lawyer and I stumble, of course, people people have to say you can't come, <laughs> but but it's specifically going to be emphasizing healthcare workers because in the personal accompaniment that this will create, it's extremely important. Yeah. Right? Yes. Okay, and then. And then you could imagine that as the membership of the guild grows, let's say there are five, six, seven members of the guild who live in Norwalk, they will be the catalyst to create a chapter that in addition to the diocesan events, that they would be events they would create on the local level with others in Norwalk in healthcare, where they would get together, break bread, pray, reflect, perhaps break open some issues. Yeah. So there's both small communities and the larger community 
all kind of led through the power of grace and the Holy Spirit. And we create a structure that allows itself to develop as the need demands. Yeah. Those smaller groups might even be by aligned by specialty, not necessarily by geography. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, I'll give an example. There is one hospital already that will go nameless where one individual who is very much committed to the guild already now, now, every day at the changing of the shifts gathers between 12 and 15 nurses and takes 10 minutes to pray with them oh, wow. and share the guild prayer every day. That, in my mind, is a chapter. That's awesome. One of the members of the Ward of St. Guild of, of the St. Guild of St. Luke Guild has um, is a professor. So he is exploring the possibility of taking medical students and creating opportunities for them under his guidance to gather together to pray and Great. to be formed and to struggle with basic issues. Again, that would be a chapter. Yeah. There's got to be flexibility here, but you'll see how this can start taking and, and it seeds like little communities that then roll up into these other events where where they're going to be regional, but anybody could come. And then you go back to kind of like a, a much smaller gathering where the members themselves, which are going to be few but hardy, who are going to be the like almost the apostles in this, the ambassadors to this. I love the structure because I don't know what it's going to look like in three years. We're going to see what the Holy Spirit decides. But it's all about accompaniment. It's about encounter and accompaniment. It's about accompaniment, creating the structures of accompaniment and the seeds of encounter. Yeah. So what's what's on the horizon? Ooh, what's on the horizon? The two guilds I could tell you right now, I'm, I could announce clearly, the two guilds that will be created between now and September, next two, are the ambassadors and catechists. Mm-hmm. Are these these are are these extensions or or developments in what you've already started previously? What I've already started will be baptized into guilds. Okay, right for the ambassadors, because this is the issue. Like everything else, the ambassadors needs for us to gather them together for spiritual nourishment and support and accompaniment. They already have their chapters, in a sense, mm-hmm. because the ambassadors of individual parishes already gather together to pray. So in a sense, they've developed um, beef before A. So the, the guild structure will provide the ambassadors the structure that I described before, meaning right. that they would be able to come together. And first, gather among the ambassadors those who are committing to an ongoing formation, spiritual accompaniment, and a, and a spiritual discipline in service to all the other ambassadors that they would be, which hopefully will be hundreds and hundreds. And then there would be opportunities to gather ambassadors to pray, to reflect, to share faith, to be trained. And then the chapters, in a sense, already exist in some parishes. And I want to take some of these ambassadors and give them specialized formation. Hmm. So, for example, you will hear me now speak of, and it, it's not the most elegant terminology because I'm sure it's something else will come up, but agents of delivery or agents of change. And you may say, what is that? <laughs> well, 
let's say in a parish, the DRE, the pastor, and the other leadership is already working at full throttle. But there are many other opportunities that can be brought to the parishes in parish life, not there, so in parish life, where there's opportunities of truth or opportunities of beauty or opportunities of goodness or opportunities to communicate other opportunities that exist in other parts of who is going to do that work? I'd love to have some ambassadors be yeah. trained to be able to do that. So yeah. concretely, concretely, what does that mean? Uh, to be able to sponsor uh, a book club, which we on the Dyson level can provide the resources for, or to facilitate a conversation of great art, which already exists, right? To be able to receive the training and support and open up that conversation, or to be informed by the new communication center we have to be able to communicate to different groups in the parishes. Hey, uh, St. Jude's and Monroe is going to have heart to heart from Sacred Heart, where you're going to have adoration and contemporary music, you know, or they're going to do it somewhere else. Do you see what I mean? Yes. Agents embedded in parishes to open up these opportunities or connect people to these opportunities. Because the renewal will not happen on the Dawson level. It will only happen on the parish level and school level. Right? Same thing in schools. If you had school parents who were ambassadors trained to do this, then parents could be told things that are going on that chances are they don't know are going on. Or bring them right to the school. So that so so creating a guild for the ambassador and the other is catechists. Remember, definition of catechist is one who in evangelizing catechesis, one who witnesses to right, and instructs the mind, the heart, and the will so that the person in their care is formed into the image of Jesus Christ. So there's a teaching of doctrine. There's an engagement of the heart. There's an introduction to prayer. There is a forming of virtue. It's the molding of the will right, to be able to do that. By definition, catechists are the catechists in religious education and Catholic school teachers. Both, both are catechists. Therefore, for the guild that we're going to create, would have tracks for Catholic school teachers, for parish catechists, for leadership in catechesis. Those are the directors of religious education, school principals, and even public school teachers, because public school teachers who are Catholic can are formative on their children, even though the law prevents them from being overtly right referencing to Christ by the integrity of their lives and the spiritual company we could give them by their very life of integrity, they can preach the gospel without words, hmm. and therefore they are catechists. Right? Yes. Yes. So so that is going to be launched because they're at the front of all of this, right? They're at the they're at the cutting edge of what I'm talking about. And to be able to create this guild where some take on the true requirements, we provide opportunities for formation, 
right? Spiritual growth for accompaniment. And then we create chapters. Do you imagine every parish would have a chapter yeah. because they're already there? Yeah. And then you start spiritualizing. You don't just get together to go over curriculum or, you know, or to talk about how you deal with parents. <laughs> and yeah. then, and then some of them can be the catalyst to reach out to parents and start doing the same thing for parents. Yeah. Right? Now you begin, it's like a spiritual epidemic. It's like spiritually allowing all of these seeds to, to it's like um, a, the, the virus of grace to bring it and infect more and more and more people. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's what, so that's what the guilds are all about. Yeah. I love it. I love it. It's uh, so, cause I, I love the idea that, uh, there are going to be professional, there are going to be guilds revolving around professional groups, but also it's not just a professional thing. No. Like the catechists. Right, 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 right. exactly. Uh, I, I, exactly. I, I no, I, in the end. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, there's so many vocations, my friend, you can think of. I mean, it's almost endless. I mean, there's a natural, uh, we're hiring a full-time person to direct the guilds. Because you could imagine just logistically how much work there is in doing this. Could yeah. you imagine? Yeah. Right? So that's a whole nother development, which please God, through the generosity of one individual, I have the resources to do that for the next three years. Wow. Mm -hmm. Would there be... You're going to ask, Stephen. Mm -hmm. So this, this might be really a silly question, but would there be like a need or... Uh, an opportunity for a guild, say for like young mothers. Ah, sure, of course. You know, uh, or young parents, right? Yeah, yeah, something like that, right? So where they they can also because that's also a community that needs community and support from each other, and of course, of course. The one thing I would say is we've started, um, and there are a few other professions with a relative assurance that I think we have discerned the needs somewhat correctly mm -hmm. for what you're suggesting will take a lot more discernment and the involvement of some young families to help guide us in creating right. what will fit their needs in life. Right. Because I think for young parents, there's a need to gather them together but there's also a great impediment of gathering together precisely because of all the demands on their time. Yes. Yep. I so how do you do that? Yeah. Yeah. I love that you're starting with healthcare excellency. That, mm -hmm. uh, that area is so under assault right now and, you know, and there's confusion and I mean, our, our, our healthcare workers really need the support. Mm -hmm. I love that. Yeah. The other thing too is Father Kirby. Remember Father Kirby? Yes. His excellent presentation. Yes. He said something very interesting, which afterwards just hit me of why I think the spirit moved us as a as you know, as the planning group to start with healthcare. Not simply because initially if you would say to me, Well, Bishop, it's because of all the moral issues and everything else. But but Father Kirby, if you remember, said that it's ironic that 
the one aspect of the ministry of Jesus, right? The two sacraments of healing, his healing ministry is that which is least, least attended to by his people in a time when healing is so important. Struck me. Yeah. Because in the end, if the guild prospers, it's not just going to equip its members and all those who may attend its events to navigate a very difficult landscape in healthcare to be faithful as a Catholic and to grow in their relationship, but actually to unleash the power of Jesus's healing ministry. Mm. Now you may say, what does that mean? <laughs> I'm glad you asked. <laughs> because the most profound moment of encounter with Jesus Christ, now this is a mouthful, is the moment of suffering. And when those who are sick, whether themselves, their relatives, their friends, whoever it is, yes. that is where, unbeknownst to them, they have the invitation to encounter Christ in a such a powerful way that it will blow their socks off. Mm. Mm -hmm. So in the guild, if these individuals who already, many of them are good, faithful people, if with the accompaniment they've received, the spiritual formation that they have, and the growth in their life, become more explicitly agents of healing, could you imagine the hearts that can be touched in two, three, four years, in moments when they least expect it? Awesome. Yeah. Unbeknownst to me, that's really where we're at. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah, that would be transformative. Mm -hmm. Okay, Excellency. So let's take our, our final break, and uh, we will come back on the other side with a listener question. This is Let Me Be Frank on the Veritas Catholic Network. Be right back. Hey, this is Matt Sparazza from The Tangent. Each week on The Tangent, my co-host, Father Sam Kachuba, and I go on tangents to show how intertwined the Catholic faith and our culture really are. With guests like Scott Hahn, Dr. Greg Pitaro, Kristalina Everett, and so many more, The Tangent is always entertaining and informative. Check us out on Fridays at 12.30 on 103.9 FM, 1350 AM, anytime on the Veritas app, or wherever you get your podcasts. God bless. Okay, welcome back to Let Me Be Frank on the Veritas Catholic Network. All right, Excellency, here is uh, this week's question from the listener. It says, um, uh, is there any rationale for the gospel order of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, or was it just an arbitrary call back in the Middle Ages? It's a great question. And there are a couple of things to be said. Number one is that the order of the gospels was not universally agreed to. All right, until the third century. But evidence that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John was the order goes back to Irenaeus. So it's mm. in the second century that there seemed to have been a gaining approval. Now, um, obviously, three reasons. Number one, this is divine inspiration, right? This is the Holy Spirit moving us in this way, right? Number two, um, 
there is a sense, at least in the ancient church, that this was the chronology. Matthew came first, then Mark, Luke, and John. And the third is based on the second. In the, in the Gospels and in, in the Acts, remember, the message of salvation went to the Jews first and then to the Gentiles. And of the four Gospels, Matthew is clearly the one oriented to a Jewish audience because Jesus is clearly proclaimed as the new Moses. So with that being said, the first is the outreach to the Jews, right? And then to the Gentiles. So both of those kind of makes Matthew first, even though historical critical study now thinks that Mark is older than Matthew. But in fact, what's accepted is Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John for at least those two reasons. Yeah, great. Yeah, that was... So if you have a question for Bishop Frank, you can send it in on social media or you can email questions at veritascatholic.com. Bishop Frank Caggiano is on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and so is Veritas Catholic Network. And uh, thank you to our sponsor, Foundations in Faith. It's a grant from the St. Therese Fund for Evangelization that makes it possible for us to bring Let Me Be Frank to you. Foundations in Faith is committed to supporting and transforming pastoral ministries here in the Diocese of Bridgeport, and you can learn more about their outstanding work at foundationsinfaith.org. That's a lot of exciting stuff happening here, Excellency. Yeah, there really, there really is. Thank God. Yes. Right. Yeah. I mean, thanks to Foundations of Faith, but also thanks to the guilds and all the all the things that you have cooking. <laughs> yeah, I, it's yeah. I think it's it, people are probably probably saying stuff. This man is out of his mind trying to do this all at once. But 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 uh, it's like sowing seed. Yes. It's like sowing seed. Let's see what what bears fruit. Yeah. That's all. Yeah. Great. I'm excited. Thank you, Steve. Yes. I'm glad we had the opportunity to break some of that open. Yeah, fantastic. So before we go, would you please give us your blessing, Excellency? Absolutely. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. May the Lord bless you. May he keep you. May he shine his face upon you. May he be gracious to you. May he grant you the gift of his love and peace and mercy. For we ask this in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Next, next segment is listen to questions. One of my favorite features. It's a fan <laughs> favorite too, and uh, I think it's gonna be a lot yeah. of fun. <laughs> okay. All the best to you. Thanks, Edson. Take care. Ciao.